Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. Uh, this topic is a passion of mine. Um, I, my day job, I guess, if you will, is uh, importing and distributing uh, wine in, in New York. Um, I also uh, distribute as an importer to other states as well. So I have my hand on the pulse in terms of the sales side of things. Um, but I'm particularly uh, focused on sustainability um, and making efforts to ensure that I'm being sustainable across the supply chain. So um, I not only work with producers that are, uh, to my mind, uh, farming and behaving in an environmentally responsible manner, but I've also really uh, turned my focus onto the issue of packaging, appreciating how important that is to the overall uh, carbon footprint and the contribution that packaging makes. Um, so a disproportionate amount of my portfolio, which is all very fine wine focused, um, is in three liter bag and box. Um, and it's something that I'm personally very committed to. Um, I also, um, as a, uh, an MW, did my uh, research paper focusing on the issue of packaging um, and specifically how uh, we can uh, further raise awareness for the issue of packaging and the issue and the impact that it has on the environment, as well as um, possibilities and ideas for how we can move um, buyers um, into the realm of actually making purchasing decisions on the basis of environmental impact. Um, so that's me. Um, now I'd like to uh, have the panelists introduce themselves as well. Um, Ron, you're to my left on the screen, so take it away. Hello, everybody. My name is Ron Gonen, and I am the uh, founder and CEO of Closed Loop Partners. We are a investment firm and innovation center focused on uh, building out the circular economy. And what we mean about the by the circular economy is developing manufacturing systems where you no longer have to rely on natural resource extraction for the manufacturing of products or packages or uh, rely on landfills for uh, disposal. So we look to invest in uh, companies and technologies and material science, uh, advanced product design, uh, advanced supply chain and manufacturing systems and advanced uh, recycling systems. Uh, and uh, before that, I was a sanitation commissioner in New York City in the Bloomberg administration, and prior to that, uh, an entrepreneur. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Nicholas? Yeah. Hi, Melissa. Hi. How are you? I'm Joe. Pleasure. <laughs> um, I'm the chief winemaking and operations officer for the Crimson Wine Group. Uh, we have uh, six wineries spread out on the West Coast of the United States. Uh, with uh, associated vineyards. I have a keen interest in packaging myself as well because I recognize the uh, impact of glass in particular on the total carbon footprint of wine. So my, my goal in life is to uh, reduce and perhaps one day eliminate that source of uh, uh, carbon uh, for the wine industry. Amazing, thank you. Um, and Joe? Hi there, it's, uh, it's great to be here again with you, Melissa. Um, I'm Joe. I'm, uh, I've got one of those funny accents. 
and uh, I'm, I'm passionate about packaging. Um, I come from a packaging background. I've got 20 years experience in packaging across standards. Um, but I also started out with a bachelor's degree in, in packaging as well. Um, I work for I, uh, BSI, uh, which is the British Standards Institution, but we're a global organisation, global standards organisation. Uh, we were the first national standards body, a founding member of ISO, and even today, about 85% of the work we do is related to ISO. So um, with this conference, it was it was really important to us because it's got such a strong focus on sustainability, and that's definitely where we, we sort of align um, with, with, within our business as well. Terrific. So uh, lots of diversity in everybody's background, which I think will make for a robust discussion. Um, so um, as all of you are aware, uh, the, the topic um, as it was phrased um, is actually presented in, in quite a provocative way. Um, so I think that it will make for an interesting discussion. So um, just briefly recapping um, the topic of today, packaging innovation, should wine below $20 a bottle, even, I'm sorry, $20, even be in a bottle. And um, we're gonna talk about some of the trends to 2025 and beyond. So with that, I'm gonna open it up to the panel and then we can kind of see where, where things are, um, the, direction, the direction we go. So would anyone like to um, answer that pretty poignant question, whether or not wine below $20 should even be in a bottle? Um, I, I, why don't I go ahead and, and just throw something out there. So my firm uh, is either an investor in or, or owner of uh, a number of major recycling facilities around the United States as well as compost uh, facilities. And so one thing I always suggest that people keep in mind is that to process a commodity, whether it be paper, metal, glass, or plastic at a recycling facility in the United States, it costs about $70 a ton. That number is really important because whatever product delivery method you choose, whatever commodity you decide to use, if you want it to be sustainable, i.e. it gets back into the supply chain for remanufacturing, you want that commodity to be valued at over $70 in the recycling stream. Today, aluminum, very easy to recycle, extremely valuable in the recycling stream. We sell aluminum for about $1,000 a ton. It costs about $70 to process. On the opposite end of the spectrum, glass, uh, if we get glass mixed in with the rest of the recyclables, which is how recycling is generally collected in the United States, we generally lose money on recycling glass because the process required to separate out the green, clear, and brown glass into separate uh, colors and, and cull it and then deliver it to market is, is very expensive. If, if the wine bottles are delivered to recycling facilities separate of any commodities, that's a different story. You, you can make money. Um, and then obviously there's always the alternative of some type of reuse model where people can actually use a container and get their wine without the package. But that's one thing I would throw out to the group is whatever commodity we choose to go with, it's really important to see it through the lens of, is it going to be profitable for the recycling industry to process? Uh, otherwise, there could be some bold sustainability claims made 
uh, only to get kiboshed when uh, the material actually has to get into market and, and show up at recycling facilities. That's really interesting. So I, I guess summing up your comments, would there be an argument for, um, I guess, an argument against glass, given what you just stated for the wines at this price point? Absolutely. Uh, today in the United States, and this is different from Europe, uh, in Europe, culturally, people take their wine bottles to the corner and separate them into the proper container. In that type of system, where there's that type of cultural acceptance of doing that in discipline, wine in a bottle is, in, in a glass bottle is fine from a sustainability standpoint. In the United States, where glass is mixed in with uh, the rest of the recyclables, uh, it's extremely challenging for the recycling industry. In many cases, it's probably not going to be turned back into another glass bottle. At best, it'll be turned into aggregate for the construction industry. Uh, sometimes it'll be landfilled. There are business models. So Ripple Glass, if people want to look that up as an example of there are companies that are emerging that are uh, providing for separate glass uh, collection systems. So in that scenario, it's okay for it to be in glass, uh, but but we find glass to be a, uh, a challenging commodity at a low price point. Very interesting. I, I think that's sort of the nub of the, well, there's two two nubs there, I think. <laughs> there can be two nubs. Um, one that, you know, the whole waste infrastructure is just sadly lacking. And, and I'd align the UK, I live in the UK, I'd align the UK more strongly with, with the US in terms of single stream uh, recycling we don't we don't unfortunately take our wine bottles to the corner um or if we do they've usually got wine in them <laughs> and we get drunk with our friends but um the other side of things i suppose is um you know if the if, if the if the packers of the wine the producers of the wine can take note of what the infrastructure is like in the region that they're selling the wine in so you know agnostic of, of wine producing region but if the if the wine is going into France or something where there is that tradition, um, then you know that then glass is, is acceptable. But if, you know outside of that, then that's um, that's slightly less feasible. Now, one thing I would I would also suggest everyone to consider in the wine industry is glass is a very expensive packaging type. Hmm. The concept that we fill a glass bottle with wine, send it to the customer. And then we take that glass bottle that by the way, could be reused mm. about a thousand times. And instead we take that glass bottle and we either throw it in a recycling bin or throw it in the garbage bin is completely ridiculous from a business standpoint, not just an environmental standpoint. And so one of the things that I would definitely encourage people on the phone to think about or on the Zoom call to think about, and something that we're trying to evaluate ourselves is, how do you rethink the supply chain in the wine industry to eliminate this ridiculous notion that as a wine producer, I'm going to pay for this glass bottle, put the wine in it, ship it to the customer, and then the customer is gonna just discard that bottle even though you could reuse it a thousand times. So is there a way to get the wine to the customer where they can continually, maybe in a, in a, in a bag or some type of lighter format 
where they could then just continually reuse the bottle with your brand. And then your brand has an association to that person's home. They have, they have your bottle and they're just ordering the actual wine in some type of much lighter uh, packaging form. Uh, just a corollary there is the most profitable part of the carbonated uh, beverage industry is the fountain business at movie theaters uh, and entertainment where uh, you just get your cup and you go up to the machine and uh, fill up your, your cup. That's, that's their highest margin business because they're not, they're not dealing with paying for packaging, the amount of space the packaging takes up and so on and so forth. So, so something to also just consider. So it's almost like taking that model of, of bulk shipping wine, um, you know, in shipping, literally in shipping containers and, and putting it on water for 12 weeks, taking it to where it's meant going to be sold and then bottling there or putting into any other, when I say bottling, I mean packaging, I suppose, um, then then that's sort of the, the iteration or the iterative step towards a more sustainable, reusable cycle. Or not <laughs> yeah yes um but i'm sure that this uh, type of innovation or this method of operation i guess if you will would come with um a handful of challenges nicholas as a wine producer would you like to speak to them i do i do i, I, I first wanted ron and joe to step in it first and then and then i could uh, i could come at the end and swipe it uh, I, so to answer the question, should wine below $20 even be in the bottle? I think the answer is pretty clear. It's no. And so that, I don't think that's really a question of should it be in the bottle or not. It should not be in a bottle. Um, the question, and I think the only way to maybe go a little further than, than that is like, why is it in the bottle? And um, would there be a way or alternative to that bottle that would be suitable for the consumer? Um, and also that would not create a system where we have today, where we have a, what I call the prisoner's dilemma. Uh, and um, there is not an incentive for the producers to do so, other than the, good, you know, the goodness of their heart and perhaps some understanding from the consumer. But for some traditional reason, maybe by association with high-end product that are traditionally in glass bottle, there is a, at this point, a consumer demand for glass. And so that's great to have a whole system to put the one to another container, but I feel we have to change consumer's perception or their, 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 they have to vote with their dollars and buy packaging that are not glass. And they're not doing that in masses right now. And so why is that and how do we change that? chicken and egg because I, I, I mentioned to, in, in a session yesterday with Melissa that I'd quite happily buy more bag in box wine um, it's just the quality that I want to drink isn't there, not that I've got to do sophisticated palate or that I buy particularly costly wine but um, you know there's kind of a nod towards a, um, a bag in box and another format so I'd, I'd apply that to other formats as well and I, I'd quite happy to see um um, some of the other formats come in, like uh, aluminium cans and, and tetra packs and things like that for, for wine, um, because it break it starts to break the expectation that wine is all in glass bottles. And I think you know, if in the consumer mind you can break the association of wine and glass, then 
you know, the, the ritual is somewhere else. There's a wine ritual at home, perhaps, because it's the whole, you know, open the bottle is, is, is the ritual, isn't it? And, and people enjoy that. Um, but I wonder if, you know, by starting to um, nudge people, um, was it Malcolm Gladwell wrote nudge um, about, you know, stepping, stepping um, slowly, making small steps, iterative steps. And, and I think by playing around with different pack formats as, as wine producers, there's an opportunity to normalise, like I say, that, that wine isn't always in glass. Yeah, and Eugene mentioned something in the comment that it has happened uh, with screw cap already, where mm. consumers were so attached to corks and and it took some time to get them used to screw cap, but many countries are, are now used to screw cap and some are 100% under that closure. Um, and, and it's funny because we see many non-wine producing country or not traditional country adopting those packages first, as Scandinavia comes to, man, to mind, for example, for me. Um, so there is a way to have consumers uh, changing their mind and changing their behavior. Right. Um, I, I do believe that it would be great if we could explain to the consumer why glass is bad, what happens with glass. And, and there's, there's plenty of examples of that, both that consumer behavior change, as well as some, what I would call uh, longstanding urban legends, sometimes in branding that limits, unfortunately, sustainability initiatives that should have taken place years ago. And the, the two examples I'll give is, if you look at the, the beer industry, uh, the younger consumers much more interested in drinking a craft beer out of an aluminum can than they are drinking uh, beer out of a bottle. And that wasn't a movement that uh, came from the larger beer companies. It wasn't a strategic marketing um, plan. It was something that was organic, that happened in society and a trend that younger people moved more towards um, craft beers in a can because the small craft uh, breweries decided to go with the can and that's what we became cool. So that's just a good example of uh, a cultural change amongst the customer. The other example of uh, kind of an urban myth uh, holding up a major sustainability initiative is in the, in the carbonated beverage industry, uh, one of the challenges has been uh, is that clear PET, so that's the plastic that the beverage industry uses, highly recyclable, highly profitable, with one exception, colored PET um, really has no value and actually ends up contaminating the PET stream because the buyers of recycled PET, they just want bales of clear PET, but you have these Mountain Dew and Sprite bottles kind of interspersed in these clear PET bales. And when, when you would have conversations with Coke or PepsiCo around, you need to move this green PET product you have into clear PET. That's the only way it's going to become sustainable. The marketing folks would always step in and say, but that's what the customer identifies the product with is that green bottle. This has been going on for 20 years. Environmentalists, recycling industry saying, please go to clear PET. And the marketing folks within the company saying, absolutely not. We will block it. That's our clear identifier. In the past year, both PepsiCo and Mountain Dew have converted to clear PET with a green cap uh, because the company has sustainability goals has to reach. Interestingly, zero impact on sales, zero impact on sales. So 20 years worth of uh, internal marketing folks 
pushing back on a really important sustainability initiative and, and procurement initiative because they actually want access to more PET uh, wasn't actually based on any data or, or any customer analytics. It was just kind of this urban urban myth. So I, I, I give those two stories by way of background that there's a lot of ways uh, to change customer behavior and preferences. I could I could go on and on on marketing people. That's not really my um, my goal, though it's my one of my favorite pastime. Uh, but um, I, I I do have a similar story with with glass weight, uh, and uh, uh, which is at the very least, uh, uh, you cannot see me come down on my knees. But all producers should reduce their glass weight uh, on a per bottle basis. There is no reason to use a kilogram of glass per bottle when there are options at 500 grams or below. Um, and and we, I did get plenty of pushback from marketing originally saying we could never reduce the glass weight because it would reduce the uh, perceived value of the product. Yet when we shaved 25% of our glass weight on our bottle, we never had one complaint, not one, zero. Um, and so they, yeah, there's plenty of misconception, I guess, and preconceived ideas that doesn't help uh, moving moving the uh, uh, the ball forward here. There was a similar thing, um, maybe it was in other countries as well here, with black black trays can't be detected um, by the recycling uh, facilities. But so many of the brands and retail um, sort of organisations they they took so long to change from black trays to a different color that could be detected in, you know, because they use infrared, so you can't pick up, I think it's infrared, um, so they can't pick up the, the black um, amongst the, and, and therefore select it out. Um, but something that occurred to me, and I, I you know, we, we talk about sort of consumer preference and consumer choice, but I think, well, is it really? <laughs> the craft beer example, for example, uh, uh, an example, I'll say example once more. Um, it wasn't that the consumer made a choice. It was the, the brand made a choice. That was the only pack format available. So that drove the trend for others, maybe. And I think, well, you know, the example of the glass bottle, weight came off. You made that decision. The consumer didn't ask you to. Presumably, I'm making an assumption that they didn't, you know, write in their hoards and, and demand a, a light and bottle weight. Um, and I think there's a... a, a a phrase called analysis paralysis that you know if you've got 20 20 different products all perhaps laundry detergents all exactly the same which one do i choose or like i like the shape of that bottle so i'll go for that one but what if there was only one laundry detergent what if there's only one choice you still buy a laundry detergent i think maybe we there's an element of nudge of perhaps exploring some of these other platforms breaking that that association of, of glass um, with wine but also just start packaging in other formats. Let's see how it goes. Let's, you know, if, if that wine with a really strong branding, really attractive, really desirable, really endorsed by someone really appealing, and the only pack formats it, it, it's in is a banging box, people will still buy it. I, I you know, I, I wonder if someone's brave enough to make that step and actually go ahead and do it and put a really, you know, good quality wine um, around the, maybe $20, $30 mark and put it into bagging box and see what happens. I think these are all interesting points. And I'm also viewing the comments as I'm listening. And I think an important distinction to make 
is wines that have to be in glass because of the need for a lower oxygen transfer rate and some modicum of ageability. So a quality control aspect to things. And then the wines that, um, you know, are under $20 a bottle retail, which don't necessarily command um, that the, the need for glass in the same way that other wines will. And, and, and looking at these comments, somebody made a comment about um, light uh, damage in clear bottles. Absolutely, it's a quality control consideration, but I do think that, again, the price point that we're looking at, if, if the wine is going to be sold and consumed within, let's say 12 months, these issues become less, less relevant. Um, and to your point, Joe, I think, or I think maybe to everybody's point, but you were just saying it, um, it does, the, the, the issue itself does command somebody taking action. Um, somebody, maybe many people taking some action. It's too, um, I guess, easy to simply say, well, the market doesn't demand it or the market won't accept it because it's not actually available in the market. So mm -hmm. I think firstly, you know, just summing up, market availability is a big issue. Um, you know, we are, uh, I, I love Ron that you brought up other industries like beer and cola because I did uh, look at these, uh, I looked at many other in industries when conducting my research and it's so interesting how other industries, it does seem can make a change in their packaging, um, you know, without it even going noticed, right? And in the wine industry, it does seem that there, there might be a little bit more of a hurdle given the history and tradition. Um, and we can certainly speak to that. But in the end, it is fascinating data that, you know, when, when the change is made, despite the resistance from marketing departments, that it kind of went, you know, unnoticed. People would probably notice if their favorite wine that they always bought in a bottle was now, you know, not in a bottle, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't buy it. Right. And I think that that's, you know, what we're looking at here. Um, yeah. So th those are, those are my thoughts. Um, another thing that I think is crucial um, that came out of my research that might be some fodder for discussion is the fact that awareness of this issue is absolutely not where it needs to be. People just don't even know about it. And when I say people, I mean, consumers and the trade alike, everybody has somewhat of an idea of what uh, it means to be environmentally responsible when it comes to packaging. But a lot of times that understanding is rather fragmented and lacks a holistic view that's required to really make decisions that are going to have a positive impact. Speaking to um, Ron's point about recyclability, it's absolutely a, a huge part of the discussion. But what people don't realize is the fact that recycling in and of itself if even if it, everything were recycled, there's still other um, uh, facets of the life cycle of a bottle of wine, for example, such as product, the production of it and the transportation of it that don't get mitigated by the fact that it's being recycled. So it, it doesn't require a PhD in environmental science, but it does require um, awareness and education that I think needs to be driven by the industry. What does the panel think about that? Let me say just one quick thing, maybe I'm, that goes through my mind. And I think we, 
as as a as a society, we switched from the main problem being recyclability over the past 20 years, which glass, we were told, was a great package for recyclability versus plastic versus so many things. So we switched from that hot button to climate change. And when that button changed, we changed the, the lens we looked at things. Um, I think that's the right lens. Um, maybe 20 years from now, there'll be another lens that I don't know yet about. But, um, and so when we switch to that, it, it's gonna take time to make people understand that the recyclability issue of glass is real. We, we, could, we could recycle more glass. We don't for all the reasons that Ron said with the color issues that we have in the different shapes and so on. That's why we cannot reuse bottle. I don't know why we have to use 200 or 300 different shapes out there on the marketplace. Can we use just one for everybody and put a label and wash our bottles? Um, um, but we've, we've done that to ourselves where we have to re-educate the consumer to tell them that that package we told you 10 years ago, 15 years ago was environmentally friendly, may not be environmentally friendly. And that's a pretty large undertaking, especially since there's big stakeholders that are very powerful and very consolidated uh, in, in a glass manufacturer uh, telling us that uh, uh, glass is life, right? I think that's their advertisement in the United States. And I, I do want to be sensitive to, I, I don't want to be picking on the glass industry. I think that uh, in Europe, where culturally people are willing to walk to the corner and separate their glass, uh, glass is a fine product to use. And so I would put the onerous on the glass industry to say, we're not seeing people shouldn't use glass. We're saying that you should figure out how to ensure that the customer of your product handles it properly post-use. Because if not, and this is really important for people to understand the United States, if not, if it needs to go to landfill or it goes to a recycling and can't be processed, it's the taxpayer that has to pay for the disposal. Unfortunately, in the United States, waste is treated as a tragedy of the commons, not as a uh, utility. So if um, I drink lots of wine in a bottle and just throw it in the garbage and my neighbors you know, aren't wine drinkers or drink their wine in, in a can, uh, they, they have to subsidize my cost of disposal. And so it's important for the glass industry to recognize that it's not about being anti-glass or telling people they shouldn't use glass. It's about the glass industry proactively finding a, a market for recycled glass. We're all business people here, right? And, and we shouldn't be pushing costs off to to other, um, other uh, industries. W one other thing that I, I think is interesting to think about for the glass industry is we, we tend to think of the consumption of glass, excuse me, the consumption of wine as being something that you do over dinner. But in fact, wine is consumed in lots of different uh, experiences. One of them being people like to go to the park. People like to go to the beach. People like to go on a hike and have a glass of wine. Uh, a lot of them don't because carrying a glass bottle of wine to the beach or the park or on a hike is not convenient. Uh, and so they just don't do it, which limits sales in the wine industry. And so there's another opportunity to think about in terms of how do you access those consumers and those experiences uh, where, where wine is desired, but, but currently not purchased or consumed because the packaging type that it comes in 
uh, isn't well aligned with that, that experience. I think that's a great point. Um, I also um, um, think that it's important to consider, as you said, context within consumption. Um, I guess a question um, that came through on the chat, um, uh, Nicholas, that I would love for you to be able to address if you could, um, has to do with this idea of uh, re refillables and how logistically possible that is, because I think that we um, it is important for um, attendees to understand the complexities of the U.S. Um, legalities and barriers to implementing something like that. And then there was also a question regarding the Garcon bottle and um, as a producer, whether or not you're seriously considering that. Well, I think refillables is a great, I'm not against the glass industry. They're lovely people. Um, I, I, I really like the way that Ron puts it, that they have to, they have to help out. They have to find a solution. Uh, and they, they probably need to stop hiding. Sorry, it's not a nice word that I'm using here, perhaps, but behind the fact that it's super recyclable and glass is great. I think it would be nice if they would come forward a little bit and say, no, we have problems to clean up. We don't know how to deal with the results, the, 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 what's left after you drink that bottle and we need to, we need to increase our recyclable, recyclability rate and put some money into those projects. I think that would be awesome. Um, but as far as um, um, PET bottle, would that be the Garcon and other? Um, yes, I'd love to use one. Uh, I'd love to be able to do it. Uh, the, the Garcon bottle in particular, in particular, if people don't know it, they can go check it online as it's kind of a flat bottle. Um, and and as, as problem as far as uh, feeling technology, like how you can actually Put the product in the darn bottle, and that's that's a problem. Uh, when you so you might right now really for us in the United States, it would be done by hand. Uh, so it could not be. Um, um, it's difficult. We could do a trial or something like this, but it's not mass production at this point. Um, I am concerned about the fact that it's colored PET now. That Ron said that it's no good whatsoever, and it goes to the landfill. Um, um, I, I, my, my enthusiasm towards that package uh, is going down <laughs> significantly. Um, yeah, as far as reusable bottle, I don't know if uh, uh, anyone, did Bruce Schneider, did he talk already on, uh, on his, uh, okay. I think Bruce has a great idea. Uh, and I always thought if we could ship the wine to destination and which is not always possible because in some countries, as you know, Melissa, there are there are bottle you have to bottle within the region of origin. Uh, but if you could ship it to destination and bottle it closer to consumption, and then have that bottle of glass uh, stay within the local area and being recycled there, or even better, being reused there, uh, that would be a huge win for the industry. It would create a whole new. Um, segment for the business to be a bottler at destination, especially near big metros. Um, yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm keen on trying to reduce the number of bubble shapes, really keen, because I think there's something there if we could use a standard shape. Really great. I was just gonna say, I, I'd agree on the bottle shape because I find it quite alienating. It's not a, a wine 
specialist per se, um, it's it's quite alienating that things are in certain shapes of bottles. We think you sort of know why, but not really. The same with um, wine glasses. Sometimes I've just got one wine glass I use. <laughs> I'm probably doing it wrong. <laughs> there, there's a there's a question in the in the chat just about um, f um, multi laminate packaging uh, and also Tetra Pak. Uh, so m multi laminate uh, packaging is very challenging for the recycling industry. We're really interested in individual commodities coming in, but 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 Tetra Pak packaging would be fine actually. That um, makes it through the recycling stream, and there's and there's a market for it. And t and Tetra Pak's actually a really good example for the glass industry, where they proactively worked with the recycling industry to ensure that the industry had the proper equipment that there was a market for that packaging solution. So most cases, multi-laminate, we don't like to see that. We prefer either aluminum, glass, PET, uh, or in the case of Tetra Pak, that's also a, a solution. But but the reusables, um, that's a huge opportunity to increase margin because now you're selling the product without the packaging. Uh, and, uh, and also I think uh, go, leaps and bounds forward uh, in the, uh, from a sustainability perspective. We have a portfolio company called Algramo, A-L-G-R-A-M-O, that's in the cleaning products reusables space uh, where you have your Algramo container as a chip embedded in it that's connected to your mobile phone. So on your mobile phone, you can walk up to an Algramo machine with your container and just pay for whatever you need. Um, and you never need additional packaging. You have a lot of flexibility as a consumer. Uh, the brand is connected to the consumer on their mobile phone, which is a, a way to actually close the loop, not just from a material standpoint, but also from a customer standpoint. Um, very few brands actually know anything about the customer or how to contact uh, them. Uh, this allows them to do that. So that's one example to iterate about for the wine industry. Um. Okay, so there is another question that I'm gonna um, pose to you, Ron, that's coming through on the chat just because it relates to what you're just talking about. And um, it's asking if um, Loop actually has, um, have application for wine in your view. So um, is it looking um, successful in trials as far as you know, for the industry? Uh, Loop is doing a nice job getting penetration. It's uh, it's definitely a higher end uh, product. It's it's relatively uh, expensive, but it's definitely garnering interest and um, and 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 seeing some growth. But it's a higher end uh, solution. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Algramo, the sort of more lower income solution. But I would definitely encourage everybody on this call to uh, really think about reuse models. Uh, for the wine industry, uh, I, I mentioned the benefits before of you know, you're increasing margin, you're reaching your sustainability goals faster, but but there's also a, a big movement in reusables in the consumer products space and the beverage space. So now there's technology that other industries have already invested in and that industries are already investing in, in scaling and getting customer adoption. So you kind of get the chance to jump on this wave, if you can figure out a solution for the wine industry, uh, jump on this wave without having had to do all of the 
technology investment and, uh, and you know, product testing uh, investment. If anybody has ideas on that, we at Closed Loop would be interested in, in looking at that. Yeah, I think one of the really interesting things that's coming out of this discussion is just that there are so many layers of issues, whether it's you know, the color of the PET to the level of recyclability to um, legal hurdles with respect to, you know, certain wine cells having to um, be bottled close to the source. So I think an interesting thing coming out of this that's um, really some good food for thought is really breaking down all the different considerations um, with respect to this issue, because it does involve so many different facets. And in terms of um, you know, whether it's, of course, you know, it's very easy to um, demonize glass, but as we've discussed here, it does have a time and a place for certain uh, wines. And quite frankly, certain producers are not going to uh, abandon glass. So how do we improve glass, for example, at one end of the spectrum, whether it be lighter weight or, you know, um, employing the um, glass industry be more proactive with respect to the recycling lobby and such. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum is actually you know, marketing and promotion that encourages um, both the trade from a producer level and also at the end consumer level to be more open to some of these alternative packages that would would provide, I like to look at it as an instant impact, right? A number of things that we're talking about today would require certain changes to take place, whether it's legislatively or even logistically, right? Um, getting a producer to send his or her wine across the ocean, the quality control issues associated with that. There are a number of positives, but it could take some time um, to convince producers to, to, to make that move. Um, similarly, you know, the, the growler, if you will, movement, you know, that's happened with beer that could be a wonderful solution for the wine industry also has its limitations because you are somewhat limited by whatever is locally available in your market. So I think um, all of this just sort of screams for um, a, a, a big chart that looks at the pros and the cons, um, the challenges, what could happen now, what needs time, um, so that we could start to be more proactive about implementing solutions. Um, I know one of the things that came up in the workshop yesterday, somebody asked, or, or maybe it was in a chat of something that I watched, why, why, why do we look at carbon footprint when we're looking at impact? And I wonder, Joe, if you might be able to speak to that, because I think it's something that, you know, sometimes we can lose the forest for the trees. Like, you know, why carbon footprint? And is that the thing that we should be looking, you know, carbon emissions? Is that what we should be attacking immediately in terms of trying to set some priorities here? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because about five years ago or so, there was a huge trend, a huge movement of, of brands wanting to put the carbon footprint of the product on, on the packaging. It happened here on a bag of potato chips, walkers uh, or legs, legs potato chips. And I think it's still there. I don't know. I don't, I don't buy them. But um, but it's 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 there's no context and it's it's problematic for the consumer because you look at it and go, OK, there's 0.2 grams of CO2 here and... You know, we don't really know what that means as the average consumer. So um, I think it's, I think why packaging and, and why, you know, well, plastics for a slightly separate reason, why packaging is such an issue for people is that they've got to deal with it when it's empty. You know, either either you've got to throw it away or you've got to recycle it or you've got to decide how to, how to or you've got to take it back or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the, the system is. So it's a tangible, practical issue that, that is, you know,
he's been kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Oh no. Uh, Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Melissa, when you were talking about the big chart, um, <laughs> I was thinking that one of the main hurdles we have also with those packaging is all of them have a short life, like you mentioned. 12 months, 18 months. And I think in a, in a category of product where the, the goods are exchanged many times. Hi, Joe, I'll leave you back. I'll finish my thought. I'll give you back uh, the microphone. Um, in, where, the category, where the product is exchanged many times, it's difficult for anyone to control that supply chain and to guarantee that that product will stay fresh from production to consumption. Um, and I mean, in small quantities and, and so on, it's probably possible. Maybe it's possible or, or very large producers. I've had a lot of people, but many times you put things in a bottle and you just throw it in, in nature. And five years later, they still that bottle somewhere in the world on the shelf. And so it's really uh, uh, to control those alternative packaging, let's call them like that, other than glass today, it's, uh, it's a logistical challenge for the winery. They have to stay on top of it. That's hard. Another challenge, yes. Mm -hmm. For the big chart. Okay. Yes, for the chart. Uh, um, Joe, sorry, you're back. Oh, sorry about that. I think you decided to just shut down all the applications because it wanted to restart. Um, so I was mid-rant, and um, I was just about to bring myself back to, uh, to carbon footprint. And I think because um, you, you, uh, within um, carbon footprinting, you, you have sort of carbon equivalents that you, so it's a way of, of accumulating all, all of the, the, the bits and bobs, but it's not, it's not tangible for, for consumers. So I, I, I think it's okay. It's, it's useful as a metric as an organization. If that's, um, if that's how you can capture, you know, the data that you're, um, or, or data on, on, on what you're putting out into the atmosphere into the environment. But I think for the, you know, for, for, for practical purposes, you need to be thinking about the materiality of what you're, you're dealing with, whether that be the, the packaging or the wine inside it. Because um, I think often people complain about packaging and all oh, this packaging I've got to deal with. Well, stop buying so much stuff then. <laughs> if you don't want packaging, packaging only exists because there's something inside it. So if you don't like the packaging, have a think about your buying habits, have a think about, you know, what, why and how you're buying things. Um, and and wine's a great example. Like I said, I'm, I'm I'd be very keen to buy buying box. It's just not it's just not available. And I think it just takes that one really brave uh, wine producer to go right. Let's let's have a go at this and see what see what happens. That's helpful. Yeah, I I mean I think one thing that we're realizing in the discussion today is that it's, there is no one answer, but it is imperative that as an industry, we start to identify what the issues are. Um, and, you know, everything is going to have its challenges, but it, it could also be an opportunity. But I think just that we're initiating this conversation is what's so important. And I, I, I feel strongly that you know, when we have discussions like this and we see how many issues arise and how many things are 
uncertain or unknown or potentially just in, inaccurate in terms of what our understanding is, it really does, um, you know, it should push us all to be motivated um, to share our information to the extent possible. So because I think it does start with awareness of the scope of the problem, um, you know, for each of the different packaging types, what the challenges are. And then once we've, you know, made some decisions as to directions we want to go, we can implement a plan and start having some impact. One thing that we did speak about yesterday that I feel quite strongly about is I think that at some point, once the industry's had a chance to get its head around the issues and to bat around ideas that having um, quantifiable and measurable targets that we can start to action will be critical. Otherwise, it's simply a discussion of problems and potential solutions versus, okay, here's the problem. Here are a number of different solutions. Here's the impact that each of these solutions could have. And here's what we're going to do about it um, across the supply chain. Does anybody have any thoughts about that? I agree. I, I every time I think about those issues, considering the fragmentation of the business, uh, uh, I can't imagine how we could do it without some government intervention and uh, in some fashion. And I, you know, I regret, for example, that we tax wine because they're alcohol, uh, and uh, for some. Obviously, I'm French, so I don't understand that. We don't have too much taxes on wine. But, um, um, but it feels like a misplaced taxation uh, should the taxation goes on to other things such as using heavy packaging or non-recyclable packaging or, or something else that would provide an incentive for the industry to just say I have to move away from these solutions. Uh, and go somewhere else. It, we saw it worked really well when we had a, a taxation system that was taxing above 14% or below 14%. It created a whole, uh, a whole business of dealkalization uh, suppliers to make sure the wines would get at 13.9%. So you would benefit the uh, lower tax bracket, for example. That's sort of happening in the UK. So um, there is a thing called the Plastics Pact. Sorry. Bruce, uh, sorry, uh, Ron, I, I interrupted you then. I didn't mean to. I was just going to hop on and mention that, um, uh, yeah, so the, the plastics pack has been adopted in several countries, including the US. Um, and it's uh, part of it is about removing problematic materials of problematic plastics that aren't, aren't you know, conventionally recyclable um, and having a, a certain percentage of recycled content in any package put on the market. Uh, so it's not a government um, thing necessarily, but the flip side of it is that the UK government are considering a plastics tax so that if anything's on the market that doesn't have 30% recycled content, then there's a tax associated with it. So it's really driving that, that industry behaviour. I think um, the, the comment that was made around the involvement of the federal government, it's a really critical point uh, from the standpoint of at least in the United States, there, and this is contrary to the way we market ourselves internally and externally in the United States, the way we market ourselves is that we are the pinnacle of free market capitalism. In reality, 
there is no industry in the United States that has gone to any type of significant scale without significant government funding and innovation. The automotive industry did not build the roads and the highways. The taxpayer did. The airline industry did not build the airports, nor do they manage the airports. It's done by the federal government and, and, and the taxpayer. Um, the only way the oil and gas industry got to any type of scale and achieved all of the profitability it's achieved over the last 50 years is because it was heavily subsidized by the federal government. And I think we just need to be much more honest about that in the United States. And rather than allow the industries that are most effective at, at lobbying uh, to get access to federal funding and then stymie competition by saying it, it should be the free market that, that drives who wins, we really need to focus on how do we use our, our tax dollars to partner with the industries and the solutions that we will benefit from as a, as a society. And, and one of those is recycling and circular economy infrastructure. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to see the federal government come to the, either the wine industry or the glass industry or the aluminum industry and say, we'll give you loan guarantees if you invest in recycling and circular economy solutions. It's worked very well in other industries. Without loan guarantees, there's no such thing as Tesla. If that's what Tesla needs to get to scale and EV needs to get to scale, that's what recycling and circular economy solutions are going to need. Fascinating. <laughs> um, yes, I think um, I'm going to, given the time, um, I'm going to take a moment just to look at the I haven't missed anyone. Um, Can I ask a question to Ron? Sure. sure. Um, you piqued my interest with that Tetra pack. Because uh, I think we went, we did a good job going around all the package types that one can be on, can be in. One, one we didn't talk about is uh, um, kegs, uh, stainless steel kegs. Okay. Um, but yeah, but everything else I think we touched on. Um, Tetra pack has always been very intriguing to me. And, and I was under the impression that was difficult to recycle, but you told me not really. Um, could you elaborate on that? What, if you know, like, is it, are they, are they peeling the different layers and uh, how does that yeah. work? Tetra Pak uh, invested in uh, the technology to be able to pull apart the pieces of that uh, package. It's a perfect example of a very challenging packaging type where the owner took responsibility and helped develop the solution. Now, it's not, recyclable in every part of the United States, but in parts of the United States where you have advanced recycling facilities like New York, uh, Austin, Minneapolis, Chicago, San Francisco, it's, um, it's, it, it's recyclable, um, but it still needs more, more investment. But I think it's a good example of if the wine industry said, wow, we would save a lot of money if we could use Tetra Pak as a packaging type. It's very lightweight, it's great formatting. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take 20% of the savings that we're gonna generate by using that as a packaging type and work with the recycling industry to make sure they've got enough funding and financing to put in the right equipment. 
there's there's a lot to like about Tetra Pak from a wine producer point of view. I think technically, uh, uh, it's much more neutral and um, preserve the wine much better than mm -hmm. uh, plastic or um, and, and possibly better than possibly better than glass with a natural cork on top of it. So, uh, so it's a very interesting packaging, I think, to, uh, to understand better. Thank you. So one thing on that is the, the, the current uh, president of Tetra Pak USA, someone named Jeff Fielko. And Jeff actually comes out of the recycling industry and is very well respected in the recycling industry. Uh, so this is actually an opportune moment, at least for the U.S. market, to talk with Tetra Pak about wine and Tetra Pak because the, the president of and, and CEO of the U.S. is someone who actually has deep technical expertise in the recycling industry. And uh, if, you, if you email me separately, I'm, I'm glad, glad to facilitate that introduction. So That's amazing. Yes. And I think... Um, Absolutely. It's, it's something because of the complexities of the U.S., certainly with respect to speaking specifically about the U.S. and their recycling laws, it is it is important to, you know, somehow have somebody um, like Ron with expertise and knowledge on this topic, because it is not an easy topic to navigate through. So understanding what's recyclable, you know, the channels that you need to go through potentially to and ideas for facil facilitating change absolutely needs to be in our box of ideas and potential solutions. So very, very, very helpful. I'm an environmentalist. I want to feel good when I'm drinking my wine. Seriously. I know it's like a lot of us don't feel so good anymore. Right. It, 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 <laughs> it completes the experience. It completes the experience. Yes. 